I was talking to somebody at lunch the other day who's going through some really, you know, just really hard things. And, you know, they were so beating themselves up and stuff. And, you know, I just looked at them at one point. And you know, I could always cry about this when I think about this. But, you know, I just said, you know, there's only one person on the planet that actually can take pain away. There's nothing else that exists. I mean, I know we can take a pain pill, but that's, that just masks it. The pain is still there. If you stop taking the pain pill, it's still there. It doesn't take pain away, <laughs> you know? And there's nothing but Jesus that actually eradicates pain. And, you know, I was a, personally a professional pain manager for about 35 years of my life. And then I met the real pain eradicator, you know? And so I'm so thankful, Sandy, that um, I'm so thankful for the journey that we've been on to learn the tools that God's given us so that we can release the pain reliever, the real pain reliever. Because, I mean, it's horrible to walk around with that mess, you know? And a lot of times we're walking around with it and we don't even know it. You know, we don't even know it. We just, we just have symptoms of it, right? We have relational issues and financial issues and, you know, just mental issues, all kinds of issues. So, anyway, praise God. Thank you, Sandy, for sharing. Okay, well, I think um, that's everything that I have. So let's jump in. I um, I really felt led today uh, to talk about um, a couple of things. I f- really feel like that we are in a place where what we focus on really matters. It is so easy to get focused on the negative. It is so easy to get focused on what's not working. You know, it is so easy to get focused, especially because most of our lives are works in progress, meaning that we, we, you know, we aren't walking in the fullness of everything that God's called us to do yet. We're in a process of manifesting Christ in us and in a process of pursuing, you know, the prophet, prophecies that have been spoken over our life and, and, and the things in our heart that we know God planted there, the dreams in our heart, the longings of our heart. The, um, you know, I taught this week, I had a filming day on Friday and I taught this week on, um, what was it called? It was called, um, dreams, desires, and delights. And it was a whole teaching around, you know, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the part, you know, that whole scripture. But it was really about so many times we, 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 we disconnect from our deepest desires uh, and we don't allow ourselves to really feel them because when you desire something so deeply, it hurts sometimes when you don't have it. It's a desire that is so deep that the longing to have it can actually be painful. And the way God connects us to our life purpose is by putting our those desires in our hearts, those kinds that... Because he also recognizes that desire is the master of motivation. And if we can't desire something, then we can't run after something. You know, when you're hungry, you go get some food. <laughs> you know what I mean? When you're, you do, you know. And if, if you're in pain, you know, sometimes you go to the doctor. You know, oh, this headache has just gotten too bad. You know, you just do something out of a out of that desire. And so a lot of times we're always trying to repress our emotions. You know, faith is, you know, we just don't feel anything. And I really believe that that is not the way God designed us. I think we need to have whole emotions, not no emotions. And so many times we are, we are taught to repress, repress them because we are, we're broken in our emotional makeup. 
And so, and we, we haven't really grown up in our emotional maturity, and so we don't really know how to handle them godly, in a godly way, and we don't know how, where to put them if they're painful, and so we just have this whole realm that's kind of just been cut off or is distorted or is dysfunctional, whatever you want to call it. And I really believe that most people on the planet are walking around like this. I think to find someone who's operating from a place of emotional wholeness is actually rare. I think we have so many coping mechanisms, so many ways of dealing with things that it's, you know, I think we would have been very um, taken aback by Jesus and his emotions. I think Jesus was a very emotional man. I think that, you know, he was anointed with joy above his fellows. So I think he was joyful in a way that, you know, you just was, uh, you know, disarming almost. I think he wept. You know, the Bible just talks, it would say he was, he was, you know, distressed in spirit. He was a very, he was very in tune with his emotions. God is emotional. And he created us in his image with emotions. And um, I say that because these desires, we, we really do need to get, you know, we do have to work on that realm of our, our life, that emotional life, but we also really need to awaken our hearts. And I will tell you, feeling these dreams and feeling these desires of the things that God has planted inside of us is sometimes painful, especially when they we, we haven't had them yet. We haven't experienced them yet. You know, I remember, you know, right after in my early 30s, just, you know, maybe mid-30s, you know, that was just the, this is when I can liken it to. I just remember starting the desire to have a child. You know, sometimes we don't understand. You know, people get really obsessed with this sometimes. You know, and you hear families that can't have children, and they go through great lengths. I mean, in vitro fertilization, I mean, they just go after the fertility doctors and things. And sometimes we don't understand it. You think, well, gosh, you know, that's just a little bit over the top. To You know, and, but I can tell you, when you're barren, and go, that desire has been placed in you by God, <laughs> You know, by God, that's a godly desire. And, you know, I can tell you, I, I mean, I had to deal with the idolatry of that thing in my 30s, you know, when I was fighting to have children. Because you, if you get to the place where, you know, like Jesus, it becomes more important in your peace in Jesus or whatever, there's something out of balance with that. But my point is, to say all of that, God has placed some really, really deep desires inside of you. And if we shut that down... We're not really living. We're just existing. You know? And, but yet if we open it up, and you don't have it, it can open up your heart and open up your life to a place of pain. Right? Um, so what do you do? Well, I, I think it's a very important place that you have to learn in that place what to focus on. Because God is the author and the finisher, right? Faithful is he that calls you, he will also do it. And all things are possible if we can believe. But sometimes we get even focused on our ability to believe rather than the one that we're believing in. You know, we're not focused on our, our faith. We're not trying to have faith in our faith or work our faith. The only thing we're doing is we're looking at a person and we're keeping our eyes on a person. And, you know, the enemy is a master at bringing things around in our focus to get us discouraged. He is a master discourager. And I will tell you, as a person who has been pursuing a vision and a dream and a call in their life now for 
15 years, um, it can be discouraging if you, if you look in the wrong place, right? And we, we have to learn where we're looking. Uh, we have to learn to look at the one, and I mean keep your eyes fixed on the one. Not, you don't just occasionally look, right? You keep your eyes fixed, <laughs> right? You keep your eyes fixed on the author and the finisher. Let's go over there in Hebrews. You know, I love to, I like Hebrews a lot. I think Hebrews is a really great book. It's, it's a challenging book. There's a lot of really deep things in the book of Hebrews. Um, you know, it's the whole compare and the contrast of the old covenant, new covenant. There's all that in there. And then you get to, you know, Hebrews chapter 11 and it's the whole faith chapter where there's a definition of what faith actually is. And then it's like the faith hall of fame that goes through, you know, story after story of people that overcame impossible odds because they believed God, you know, and there's just examples of faith. That's, that's what they even say. It's just examples of faith. And then you get into Hebrews 12 and then it gives you Christ as your example. And it, it, it starts out in verse 1 in Hebrews 12, and I'm going to read it in the Amplified Version. It says, Therefore then, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses who have borne testimony to the truth. And I'm just going to stop here. Really what they bore witness to was that all things are possible if you can believe. Right? They, they, they bore witness to that faith works. <laughs> that, that's, what they, that's what they were bearing witness to. Okay? And so we have to we have to really get it settled in our head that faith actually works. It really does work. Now, what is faith? What is faith? Well, it's a belief at a very basic level. It's a belief in something that you can't see or discern in the natural. It is getting off of your physical eyes, your physical ears, your physical nose. It's getting out of your physical senses, right? It's getting off of your physical senses and, and looking to something that is not currently visible. All right? It is seeing the future that doesn't exist in the present. It is seeing the future that doesn't exist in the present. Now, how do you do this? You do it with your imagination. I'm just going to despiritualize the whole dang thing. Okay, because your imagination is your eyes of faith. And I will tell you, the enemy is after your eyes of faith. He is the God of this world who blinds the minds of those don't, that, that those pretty much of unbelievers. Now, a lot of times we just like to think that's the people that don't know Jesus. But, you know, the people that don't know Jesus, you know, yes, he blinds them. But the real, the real uh, threat is not the unbelievers, the real threat is the minds and the eyes of the believers. So his job is to blind us, and his job is the same thing that he's been doing since the Garden of Eden, which is getting us off of what God has said and getting us to look around in the natural and evaluate it, not with the mind of the Spirit, not by the the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, but to get us to look at what it looks like, what it smells like, what it sounds like, and then go ahead and eat it, meaning take that into yourself as your reality. 
And when Eve ate that tree, her entire reality became, you know, what she believed it was. She believed that this was the way, you know, to get what she lacked. The truth was she didn't lack anything, you know, and it distorted everything. But the point is the enemy is not, and and it says the eyes, their eyes were opened. Well, their eyes actually were shut. (laughs) Their eyes were shut and they were blinded to the realm of the spirit. They were blinded to the realm of faith and they were blinded to the goodness of God because the enemy had them doubt the character of God. And the problem is for us to get into unbelief, do you know we really, really have to accuse God of not being as good as he says he is? Really, I mean, I know we're not, we're not, you know, just frontally, you know, just, you know, saying that, but it is an insinuation. When we do not believe God and his promises, we are insinuating that he is not who he says he is, that he is not as a good daddy as he is that he claims to be, and we, we, know, we look around at things as our problem. We start to put a bunch of, th- you know, we, and I mean, we have as many problems as there are, you know, choices to have blame. We blame all kinds of things, you know, just like, you know, he, uh, Adam blamed Eve. Eve, bl- Eve blamed the devil, which actually, if you're going to blame somebody, blame the devil. That's actually, at least that's an appropriate place to blame. You know, how many times do I see believers getting in conflicts and, you know, we, we, we aren't warring against flesh and blood. We are not warring against flesh and blood. And the devil will use anybody. Even me. Even you. He will use anybody. Because all, he, all he's trying to do is get your eyes off of Jesus. That's all he's got to do. Get your eyes off of the prophecy. Get your eyes off of imagining the future in the present and standing in faith for what God has spoken. He's a master at coming up with different ways to bring storms into our life. Just to get you distracted, discouraged, whatever it takes. And in Hebrews chapter 12, this is, I really believe, why the author says this. is because he says, therefore, when we are, since we are surrounded by all these examples. You know, we can be surrounded by a bunch of examples, but if you don't look at the examples, if you're not looking, if you're not focusing on the right thing, the examples don't even seem real. He says, they've borne testimony to the truth. Let us strip off and throw aside every encumbrance, every weight, sin. (laughs) It says, that clings to and entangles us and let us run with patient endurance and steady active persistence the appointed course of the race that is before us. Now, here's what it says in verse 2 in the Amplified. That's why I brought it up here. It says, looking away from all that would distract looking away from all that would distract to Jesus, who is the author and the finisher, which basically means he is the example. The example of examples. He's saying, look at Jesus. You know, it says here, for he, for the joy of the pain, the prize that was set before him, he endured the cross, meaning he endured the unimaginable. And it says he despised and ignored the shame, but now, because of that, he obtained the prize, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father, glorying in everything that was promised to him. And I can tell you, we're going to have to look away 
from the distractions. We're going to have to despise some things if we're going to esteem the right things. If we're going to magnify the right things, we're going to have to put some value on some some things and devalue other things. And I will tell you, the enemy is constantly coming to have you evaluate things where you're on the short end of the stick. It's always about us being on the short end of the stick and not measuring up in some way. And they're self-judgments, but they're, in, they're, they're enemy-induced judgments, and they're not the Spirit of God. You know, your imagination is one of the most powerful gifts that we've ever been given. It is the realm where the impossible can be seen. We can actually see the impossible. You know, and unless we can see the impossible, we really can't believe the impossible. Because you can't believe what you don't see. If you want to know how to receive something, you've got to see something. Because until you've seen it, you have not received it. You are still asking for it. You are still living without it. But the moment you see it and you see yourself with it, you've actually possessed something. Now, I get it. It's not necessarily in this realm. But it has to start in that realm. Because the spirit precedes the natural. The spirit governs the natural. So if something in the natural has to be transformed, it must be transformed in the spirit first. Now, I pulled out my fourth dimension books. You know, these books are, you know, if I say my top five, these, you know, this is one of those as well. And I, I pulled it out today because I wanted to read a couple of the testimonies from it again. Because sometimes we forget. Um, I just got to find it. I had it marked and I don't see my little spot here. But let me just talk about them really quick too. There's a scripture in here. I mean, there's a, a, a testimony in here about a woman whose daughter had gone off the deep end. And she was out on the streets as a prostitute. And she had been raised in church, but here she is off acting crazy. Okay, and she comes to Dr. Cho, who's the author of this book, and she says, I want you to agree with me in prayer for my daughter. And then she went and proceeded to say all the nasty things that her her daughter was doing. You know, I mean, they, they were true. I mean, she really was acting like a prostitute. She really was on drugs. She was doing all these things. But Dr. Cho said, no, I'm not going to pray with you because you don't have the right image of your daughter. He said, you go home and you go and get an image of your daughter through the blood of the lamb and you come back and I will pray for you. And so she goes home and she starts to see her daughter through the blood. And the point was, is that, you know, you got to pray from a place that is not, doesn't exist. You pray, not the problem. Right? You pray the promise as though it's already done. Does that make sense? You know, and let me just stop here for a second. There's another example in here, and I'll talk about, I'll end that story in a second. There's another example in here about a woman who had wanted to get married. She was like the old spinster of the church. And she comes to pastor, and she says, 
will you pray for me for a husband? And he says, well, what kind of husband do you want? She's like, well, I don't know. Just, you know, you just pray. God will show you. He said, no, I'm not praying. He said, first of all, how are you going to know if God answers your prayer? If you don't know what you want. She said, so you go home and you write down what you want in a husband and you bring it back and I'll pray for you. Right? And so she goes home and she says, well, I want a, a worship leader. You know, I want him tall. And she, you know, just kind of wrote down what she wanted in a husband. And so she comes back, gives the list to the pastor, and he's like, okay, now God has something to work with. So they pray. Well, pretty soon, maybe like two months later, this traveling worship leader comes to town, and he's a young guy. And here's the old spinster. And so you would think that the, the young, handsome worship leader would be attracted to all the younger women in the church. But he had eyes only for the spinster. And the next time, you know, uh, the, the point is that she gets married and, you know, it answers the prayer. Well, the other situation where the, the wife, well, the mom comes in and he says, okay, do you have a vision of your daughter? And she says, yes, I see her with her hands lifted worshiping God. So they said, well, good, the Holy Spirit has something to work with then. So they came together in prayer and they prayed. Two weeks, the daughter shows up at her mom's house. Says, mom, I can't live this life anymore. Right? How many times do we, so simple, so simple, yet sometimes so impossible, we get so buried under the way things look in the natural. We get so um, convinced that the way things are right this moment is the way they're always going to be. Or the way they're, they're just going to keep getting worse. They're just going to keep going that way. They're just going to keep going that way. You know, just worse and worse and worse. Rather than just getting into agreement with God. And just going ahead and seeing something that doesn't exist as though it actually existed. Right? Let's go to Romans chapter 4. You know, the reason that Abraham is called the father of faith is because he had to partner with God to believe something that was totally ludicrous. <laughs> I mean, I know we've read the story so many times that it doesn't really, sometimes we lose the impact of what he was actually believing God for, but we're talking about a 99-year-old man. Right? And, and Sarah, who was well past childbearing age. And this is the couple that is going to bear the child of promise. Right? Out of all the couples he could have picked all over the planet, he picked the old people. Right? The old people to come and bear the son. Right? And, you know, one of, one of the things, and there's nothing wrong with the young people. I'm not saying that. But, you know, young people, they can, they can have those babies anytime they want. That wouldn't have been so miraculous. But the father of faith was an old guy. And, you know, especially in the Western world, right? I mean, you know, if you're over 35, you're washed up. You know, that's what people think. You know, in the magazines and all this stuff. I mean, you know, it's like, oh, you're over 35, blah, 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 you know, your, your life is over. Well, you know, you don't even have a clue until you're 35. I mean, you know... That's part of the beauty of youth. You're just oblivious. You're oblivious to your cluelessness, you know? You really are. And it's a wonderful way to be, you know, but that, you know, 35, you start to get a clue, and then, you, you know, then the enemy comes in and says, you're too old. Now that you got a clue, you're too old to use your clue, you know? Um, 
you know what I'm saying? Just the devil, such a liar. And, and, but he used an old guy and he, he, <laughs> Abraham had to get his eyes off of himself, off of his impotent body, off of Sarah's dead womb, off of everything really but God. Everything but God. And it says that he get, he grew strong in faith. And I'll read in a second. But he grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. So he had to despise his age, had to despise the deadness of Sarah's womb. He had to despise his infinite body. And he had to esteem the capability of God. And if we do not learn to esteem the capability of God, we will not be usable. Because the things that, I mean, the things that God would have us do um, are just, they're just impossible. They're just impossible things. The dreams and those desires that when we start to unleash those things in our heart and feel those, they're impossible. That's what makes them discouraging. It's because we think of them and look at them and thinking, this is just silly. Why would God use me? Why would God pick me? I mean, I, nobody even knows me. I'm really not qualified. Or I don't have money for this. Or I don't, you know, you just think about all the I don'ts. I can'ts and I don'ts and all the reasons why it doesn't make sense. You know, in Abraham, more than anybody, him and Sarah had, you know, had a reason to believe that. We, we are crazy. I mean, you know, you've been smoking the, the hookah pipe a little too much, Abraham. You know, you've, you've been, you've been, what have you been, what's been in that? You know, what have you been eating? Right, Sarah? What kind of cream are you using to make yourself look young? You've been inhaling something a little too long, you know. But the Lord uses the impossible things. He takes the foolish things of the world to confound the wise because he wants the glory he wants the glory. You know, when, when the word says that the eyes of the Lord are roaming to and fro across the earth, looking for someone through whom he can show himself strong, he's just looking for someone who can believe. Who can believe. And let me tell you, this is not something you do one time. This is something you do every single day of your life. The just shall live by faith. You are constantly coming into agreement with the future for this planet that does not exist. And that is why the body of Christ has to get their, God has to get their eyes off what the heck is going on in this country. And this politician and that politician and this, I mean, it is such a distraction. Now, I'm not saying we aren't called to the government mountain and all that stuff, but that negativity that comes out of our mouth constantly is demonic. Because the enemy knows that he's going to use your authority against you. And I'll tell you, what this country needs is some people of faith. I mean, just some people. There are some times when God doesn't have me do a thing, because I know these principles, except just get in agreement with his will. He's just like, will you just hold this picture for me? Can I just give you this imagination and you just hold on to that for me? Because I can't find anybody that will believe it. Random things sometimes, he'll just give them to me. And I'll be like, yeah, I can, I can believe that, God. You can use my imagination if you need to. It's available. You know? 
And I'll tell you, in this body, it's prayer mountain. Until we function this way, this is what we'll see. Because it's what we carry. And as long as the enemy can use our imagination, he's going to. And so let me tell you what happens when a corporate people get together with one heart and one mind and one spirit and see something that doesn't exist. What can God do? It starts very practically. You know, I started learning these lessons before I married my husband. Because God gave me a prophecy back in 2003. That's when I got called into ministry. It's got, I mean, there were, there, you know, I was young and naive still. I was only 33. And so I didn't know, I didn't know any better than just to, you know, get the word and be like, woo, yeehaw, here we go, you know? You know, you get all excited about the prophecy, about, you know, first three years of it. Um, that's about how long, right, till the excitement wears off, about three years maybe. Um, anyway... <laughs> Because you realize, oh God, there's a battle over this word for my life. There's a battle over my destiny. There's a there's a spiritual uh, there's a this is a fight, you know. I mean, you know, right? And and you know, in that word, there was a lot of things. Some of those things have come to pass. Some of those things haven't come to pass. But at the time, you know, my husband wasn't going to church with me. He didn't even own a Bible. We were just dating. He was in um, he was in Oakland. I was in Chicago. We had met in a bar, right? I got radically radically just whacked by Jesus, maybe six months later. And so I just started ministry school, you know, and he's just, I mean, he's just, you know, whatever, just being Brian out in the world, you know, whatever. And, you know, I, at that point in my life, I didn't even really want a relationship that was not centered on God. I, my life had been so radically changed. I'd lived such craziness up to that point. I wasn't looking for a boyfriend. You know, I didn't need, that's the last thing I needed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, and so I told the, you know, told the Lord, like, you know, if this isn't you, then just whatever. But God would not let it go. And he said, this is your husband. He's in ministry with you. He's the father of your children. You know, he said, patience is required. You must call things that be not as though they were. You must see Brian as I see him, perfected in me, serving me with his whole heart, soul, and mind. He is a mighty man of valor. I mean, there's a reason that's by memory. There's a reason why I can recite that like it's scripture. It's because I had to stand. You know, and there are times when you stand when you can't even tell people you're standing because what you are standing for is so illogical and so ridiculous to the natural mind. And well-meaning believers, well-meaning Christians are the very ones that, that the enemy likes to use in those situations to take the scripture and twist it against you and twist that thing unequally yoked. You know, and, and really your life is not a principle. Your life is found in a person. I'm not saying to go out and get on weekly yoke. I'm telling you to do whatever Jesus says. And I'll tell you what, if Jesus said it and you stand for it, it works. And if you, Jesus said it, if Jesus didn't say it and you stand for it, it doesn't work. You will know them by their fruit. You know how many, how many crazy people I've seen? Well, so-and-so is my husband. And you know, I mean, God didn't talk to you about it, but you can know by just, I mean, you do know. You know, especially me as someone that God's put as a spiritual mentor and mom in people's lives. If people are connected to me, I mean, I'm not saying I always know, but I'm trying to think of the situations I've been wrong in. And I can't think of one right now. Right? It's like a parent. In the natural. You know when your kids, don't you? You do. They can't get away with nothing. I mean, you know how many times the Holy Holy Spirit's told on this one on the front row? (laughs) 
I'm just telling you, it's like a parental thing. It's a parental thing. But my point in all of that was saying, you know, you'll know if it's God or not, <laughs> you know. And But you st- I stood, and, you know, God showed me my husband. And I stood for that when there was no natural evidence. And, you know, when he shows you that, it doesn't get better quick. It gets worse first. Because the enemy, I'm just telling you, that's the way it works. You read Mark 4, and the enemy comes immediately to steal the word. And he tests to see, do they have root in them or not? And I'm going to test it with money. I'm going to test it with persecution. I'm going to test it with afflictions. I'm going to test it with anything that's in my arsenal right now because I do not, I cannot afford for heaven to manifest in, in this person's life. So the enemy is after the prophecy over your life. He's after it. He is after it like a vengeance. He is roaming around like a lion sinking who he, he can devour. And I'm not telling that to scare you. I'm just telling you, don't be oblivious. Don't be asleep to the strategy over your life. And don't, don't constantly think that what's going on and the strategies against you are just, you know, you're just having a bad string of luck. No, you're not having a string of luck. The enemy is out to kill, still kill and destroy you. He is out to absolutely murder your destiny. He is to abo- he wants to abort the dream that is in your heart. He wants to kill it. That's what he wants. That's what he's doing. And he will use anybody and anything. And it is not personal. And the moment you make it personal, you've just fallen asleep. That's why last week I talked about staying awake and I talked about discernment. And I said, where you're going, you are going to have to discern. You cannot get into the promised land any other way except by faith and by... It is a spiritual battle. You know what? You're not an unbeliever. Your days of waltzing into all that are over. They were over the moment you said yes to Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that we war in, you know, I'm not, you know, we war to labor to enter rest. You're laboring to see the right thing. You know, I said this the other day, you know, because I've been under some personal, incredible spiritual warfare. I, have, I don't know that I've personally experienced such spirit. And it's not circumstantial. It's just straight up demonic. you know what I mean? Like it's just straight up demonic where you think, I mean, I told somebody the other day, I said, since I was on medication for being crazy, there are times that I have not felt this crazy. I mean, I'm telling you, there is just, it's just, it is straight up demonic, you know? And, but I'm also teaching right now in the very thing that I'm experiencing, because the point is you cannot trust this. You literally cannot trust this. And the seasons of preparation and the seasons of the valleys and the seasons where you are alone and you're on the backside of the mountain tending, you know, Jethro's sheep. <laughs> you know, when you're Moses out here on that backside and you're just, you know, the nobody over here. You're David fighting the lion, fighting the bear. Those seasons matter. Because when the enemy tries to come in like a flood and you're, you know, you feel like a crazy person, there's all that's in you. All that's in you. So he's not winning. I mean, he's not winning even though he's trying to do it. I'm not even really complaining about it because really it's just a confirmation that I'm headed in the right direction. Like I said last week. I mean, he's, he's actually kind of stupid the way he's doing it. I mean, you know, when I told you last week, he took me out there and was like, release the land, you know, shut down the church and move. I'm thinking, well, you know, why are you going to tell me your strategy? You know, a lot of us, I mean, not only was I not deceived into thinking that was the voice of God, But I actually recognized, wow, you're against this. 
You're against the church. You're against me. You know, there's a reason there's a for sale sign out here. There's one on my house too. You think the enemy wants me to move? Do you know how easy it would be to get into agreement with that? If you don't, then just keep on walking towards your call. Because it is very easy to quit. The devil makes sure that the pressure is enough to quit. But that's when you just wake up a little more. And you say, I am not crazy. Right? And you stand up and you say, because here's the deal, it is a battle for what you see. It is a battle for what you see. And everything in you has got to to learn to get your imagination yielded to the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you, sometimes you just got to pray in tongues. Because the enemy has bombarded that thing so much that without it literally being supernatural, you cannot cast down that imagination of your own strength. You have got to pray in tongues and say, Holy Ghost, you give me something to stand on right now because this thing is just overwhelming right now. So you give me something. Give me something. When he gives it to you, it'll knock that thing out of your imagination so fast, it can't even, you forgot what you were imagining. I've done it. I'm telling you. I've had something that I literally could not get out of my head and then supernaturally the Holy Spirit would bring me something and then I'd try to remember, well, what was that thing I was trying to think of? And he'd be like, no, no, no. Don't you remember? You just, I just cast that thing down. Don't bring it back. You know? We are in, let me just say it this way. You're in imagination training. You're in a, you have got to train your imagination. And that's why doing things like, you know, visual aids, (laughs) they're helpful. Visual aids are helpful. I mean, Abraham is an example of that. God gave him, told him to go outside and look at the stars. You need a visual aid, son. See all those stars up there? Yeah, those are your kids. Now, you see those kiddos? Yeah. You believe them. You grow strong in faith, giving glory to me. I need you fully persuaded that I am able to do what I've promised. Last time I checked, Abraham, it was my idea to call you the father of a nation. You didn't dream that up. Now, you might have had a desire to have a child, but who do you think put that desire in your heart? Me, because I need you to agree with me. And I'm calling you something. I have called, you know, and God has called everybody in this room something that you're not. He's called you something that you're not. And we try to be it. In the natural, just like him. You know, go get Hagar. We're going to make this thing happen. You know, no, this is God going to make this thing happen. God's going to make this thing happen, and the best you can do is get in agreement. The best you can do is imagine it. And, you know, it's even sometimes, it's, you know, when you really tap into those inner desires, you know, it just brings up all your mess. I, I'd love to say it doesn't. But your dreams bring your mess up. They really do. And it's just, it's, it's the battle for your destiny. It's the battle for your identity. It's the battle for your life. And you're in one. So is he. So, uh, you know, if you, can, if you think it, you know, you, you, you just, you're in a battle. And God wants me to just share that with you every week. You're in a battle. And the circumstances are not designed to kill you. They are designed to reveal you. 
You better listen to that. Your circumstances are not designed to kill you. They are designed to reveal you. And they will reveal you. What they're going to reveal is what you believe. That's what they're going to reveal. Now, you, we, you, you, we don't have to like that. But it's not going to change that. And so a lot of times what happens is the circumstances reveal unbelief. Let me say it a different way. The circumstances reveal wrong belief. Okay, those guys that were in the boat with Jesus, we had an example. The storm revealed right belief, and the storm revealed wrong belief. The disciples had wrong belief. Jesus had right belief. Same storm, two different paradigms. Now, we can get all upset, and, you know, we can even point the finger. Oh, that unbelief, that unbelief, whatever. But here's the deal. That's a gift. When your unbelief gets revealed, it's a gift. Because if your unbelief is not revealed, it cannot be transformed. You're under the, you know, under the deception and under something that says, I'm good. I'm, no, that's okay, I'm good. If I had a dollar for every time I encounter that attitude. No, I'm good. You know, really, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, how's that, how's that walk into the promised land working? How far are you in? Because as long as you're good, you're not going to be good. I'm just saying. So you can go back around a couple more years so you figure out, well, maybe I'm not good. Maybe there's something. Maybe I got some unbelief. Maybe I got some wrong belief, you know. But but if you let the circumstances, they will reveal the unbelief. And that is such a gift. Because then you can be like, you know, then we act like we're responsible for it too. Like, oh, I'm responsible for my unbelief. You know, half the time we don't even know how we got to believe it. I'm just telling you the truth. Like, oh, God, I believe. Or we don't know what we believe. You know, I was, I was, I've been surprised about some of the things I, I don't believe. <laughs> you know, like I really thought I believed that. I can say 10 scriptures about that. I believe that. I believe Jesus can do that. But somehow it's not happened in my life. It, unbelief is tricky. Like you really think you believe it. And then you're like, crap. I keep having these mis- miscarriages. You know? I mean, that was something that was such a good teacher for me because I could, who am I going to blame? You know, what am I going to blame? I couldn't look around and blame anything else. You know, now I could have come up with some bad theology. That's what a lot of people do. You know, you don't, you don't look at yourself and your unbelief. You just think, you know, well, if God does, he could do it if he wanted. You know, he moves in mysterious ways. You never know what God's going to do. You know? Heal some, kill some. Must have needed those babies up in heaven. You know, plucked them up like a little flower. Whatever. I mean, you know, I'm telling you, this is, people believe this crap. I'm sorry, but it is crap. It, 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 crap is just, you know, dung in 2015. Paul said it, I can say it, you know? It is crap. And, you know, I, I, was, I, I knew too much to believe that. You know, I, I found out that God was actually good. And that he was my best imagination of good. He was better than that. You know, that had been settled. I mean, do I understand why my mom died of pancreatic cancer? No, but do I think God, it was God, it was God? No, I do not. The one thing I am sure about is the goodness of God. So that only leaves me. Leaves me in these miscarriages. You know what I'm saying? But that was great because then I could say, I could say, God, 
How is this happening? What in the heck do I believe? How is the enemy getting in? How is he stealing from me? How is he destroying? How is he killing? What is he doing? What window is open? What door is open? What, how the heck is he getting in here? And you know, that's how I got my hand on this book. He put this book in my hand as an answer to that question. And do you know, any time since that time, when a promise is not manifesting in my life, he has never put anything else in my hand but this? Because it is always the same thing. And he taught me through that process that my imagination was how you get pregnant. Hey, you better hear me. And carry a child. Carry a promise. It's how you birth the unseen into the seen. And it wasn't a coincidence that it was actually me trying to have a baby doing this. Every baby you ever are going to have, every promise of God that's ever going to be manifested in your life is going to come the same way. And so, you know, in that instance, I mean, you know, you've heard me tell it, but, you, you know, you, it, it's not enough to hear me tell it. This is supposed to be a miraculous body where you guys are going from faith to faith. I mean, I, I prophesied over Amy, her birthday's this week, and I prophesied over her. This is the best year of your life. And that wasn't just a little phrase I picked up. But it's up to Amy whether that's true or not. I mean, I don't want to put the pressure on her. Thanks for that. But, but really, because that's what God is saying. It is up to us saying, we're Mary. Be it unto me, God, according to your word. Now what shall I do, seeing I know no man? You know, that dependency upon God. And, you know, that unbelief, that, what that means is Amy's going to have to have a radical mind renewal this week, this year. Her belief, uh, every area. If it's gonna, I'm, well, that's no different than anybody. So don't feel bad, Amy, because it's all of us. It's all of us. Because you know what? All of us could have the best year of our life. Why not go ahead and get rich this year? I mean, I know we're not chasing after money, but how many of y'all need some money? To do what God has called you to do. How many of you would know what to do with the money? You know what I'm saying? We know what to do with the money. We know how to be a blessing. We're not confused about what to do with the money. Right? So it's, I mean, it is, it is, it is, it is not up to God. Because God's, he's, he's, he's in a good mood. I think he feels like writing some checks. I'm just saying. He's a generous guy. It's not like you have to catch him in a good mood because he's always in a good mood. Like, oh, I hope daddy's in a check-writing mood today. Well, I think he's always in a check-writing mood. You know? Like, you know, in the natural, you know, you ever hear that? You know, people have rich parents. You know, you got to butter them up to get the money out of them. You don't have to do that with daddy. Because it's already yours. You're already a joint heir. You're, what are you asking for? Something that already belongs to you? Yeah. So, what really? Let me let me land this plane. Let me land the plane because it's time to go. Um, man, guys, these lessons. I I mean, I know you know, this is worth the podcast because I tell you, by tomorrow we forget. By tomorrow we're already living asleep. 
By tomorrow, you know, the storm rises up, something happens, you know, one little thing happens, a distra- one little distraction comes, one negative thing, somebody does one thing, whatever, and we're already spiraled out of it. And we have, we're back under it again. And I, I, I believe with all my heart, oh, you know, I don't want to live like that anymore. You know, I really, I really want purpose in our lives. I want every day to be a forward progress day. Every, you know, every day to be an overtaker, overcomer's day. Where we are doing what needs to be done in, in the timing that it needs to be done in so that we are possessing what needs to be possessed. And we are releasing what needs to be released. You know, there, I just want to challenge the care students right now. There is a way of going through Bible college that most Bible college students go through. And it's almost like, I'm not criticizing it, it's just become the normal way that people go through it. But what would it be like if Jesus went through Bible college? He would be teaching, maybe not though, because, you know, in the religious system of his day, he was the understudy. And he, he, he did, to a certain degree, respect the structure. You know, so maybe he would, maybe he wouldn't. He might be teaching. He may not just be teaching in the school or something. I don't know the answer to the question. I just felt like the Lord was wanting me to challenge you. To challenge you as, as Bible college students. To, 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 to think more about what you're experiencing. Mean, to think more about your experience. What is your, what is really, like if, if, if all things were really possible, you know, sometimes we go into Bible college and we think we're waiting. I'm just telling you, it's the default mindset. It's a wait mindset. Now, I'm not saying that God didn't tell you to wait, but did he tell you to wait? Make sure you're waiting because God told you to wait. Did he tell you to wait? If he didn't tell you to wait, well, what does he mean? Well, how do I do this in that? I mean, you, you have to be led. But I know there's more. There is more potential in every single person sitting here today than what we are experiencing. And Jesus purchased so much for us. And it was a horrific, horrific price to put himself inside of us. And I know our minds need time to catch up. You know, I know there's seasons of preparation because goodness knows i mean you can look in the bible it's all through there we're not going to skate preparation but a lot of the preparation is meant to be supernatural i mean the disciples preparation time was supernatural time it's like hammer time but better i'm sorry i couldn't resist it just came up and i i you know okay um (laughs) anyway Yes, all right. Well, we're wrapping it up. So here's the deal. You know, let's just take a minute here as we wrap up today. And let's imagine with the Holy Spirit something that he's wanting us to believe. So Holy Spirit, I just right now, we give you permission to invade our imaginations and show us a future that you want to exist that doesn't exist. hopefully it was unbelievable if it wasn't unbelievable you need to go back in 
things to be a little more God-sized. Now, just for grins, this isn't to depress you, but now you just need to, I mean, just come to terms with the fact of everything that would have to be confronted in order for that to happen. I I don't know about you, but I got some issues. (laughs) I mean, you know, some wrong beliefs, you know? So now we just give you Holy Spirit to sort out that sand right to sort out that sand that Sandy talked about and just get all of our get our minds right and lord we just declare that when i i'm going to read this and i'm going to put it in our in our first person um and i father i just thank you that we are people who hope against hope believe in hope that we might become who you say we are according to the things that you have shown and spoken and that we will not be weak in faith we won't consider ourselves even those around us we won't stagger at the promise of God through unbelief but we will be strong in faith giving glory to you And we will be fully persuaded that what you have promised, you are also able to perform. Amen? So, you know, whatever battle you're in, see the victory. Whatever's coming against you, see the opposite. Right? And I mean, you know, why don't, you know, maybe just spend the last, three minutes before you go to bed at night. Just seeing it. Why not spend two minutes before you get up in the morning and see it? I mean, these guys, you guys, new agers know this works. I mean, it's in the Bible. But this works. Tiger Woods knows this works. (laughs) You know, athletes know this works. It's a spiritual principle. It's the way God created us to function. So let's just do other one thing too. Let's put, a, put our hands over our head and we're going to close with this last prayer. Say, Father, I take back ownership of my imagination. Devil, get your hands off my imagination. And Father, I repent for every imagination and every thought that I have agreed with that was not you. And I release all of these vain and wicked imaginations to you. Eradicate them. And if there is a source in my heart that is producing them out of woundedness, deception, or whatever, I give you permission, Holy Spirit, to bomb it and eradicate it and just annihilate it (laughs) and install a source that is you.
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.